0: This is Mouth Media Network, your inside voice. Hi, I'm Mark Kimber. I'm Chief Revenue Officer of FinTech, Inc. Uh, we uh, participate in the three-tier system, carrying debt for retailers and distributors uh, throughout North America. What I love about the grocery industry, it's a key index of how the industry's is performing. Uh, I've got 20 years' experience in the restaurant industry, and we used to measure our, our volume of traffic for customers that enter in, into the business uh, based on an index of the grocery space. If consumers were spending more money in the grocery side of the business, they tend to eat at home a little bit more frequently. So it's it's pretty good understanding of what's going on in the marketplace.
1: You're listening to Grocery is Your Business covering the intersection of innovation and business in the food and grocery industries. Recorded on location. Hey, everybody. I'm Mark Rako on location in San Diego, California at NGA, or National Grocers Association. Their a big expo and show, a uh, really great family atmosphere, almost a big family reunion here. Uh, one of the uh, people we ran into was Mark Kimber, the CRO of FinTech. And uh, as soon as I went up to him, I said, I started talking about financial tech and he immediately corrected my course and filled me in on exactly uh, what fintech is all about. It's pretty fascinating. So he's sitting here with me now. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the show.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you having me.
1: All right. Uh, so let's, let's start right there where I think it's sort of the elephant in the room. Uh, you talked to me a little bit about it. I'd love to share it with our listeners. Well, your company has nothing to do with financial tech as we typically think about it, although I guess there's a financial aspect to it. Uh, explain why your company is called fintech and what you actually do.
0: Yeah, so great great question. So we, we've been in business for 28 years, and the name was really conceived by a couple individuals out of the Tampa market where Publix grocery chain came to them and said, hey, we're having a lot of pain around keeping our locations compliant within the states and paying our alcohol invoices on time. So the name really was kind of morphed out of that, of curing more financially the debt on the alcohol delivered and the technology used to cure the debt.
1: Oh, got it, got it. And so, and so now your your main force of business is what?
0: Yeah, our core our, our core competence, our rails is really the payment. We move approximately uh, thirty four billion dollars a year for retailers throughout uh, North America, both on and off premise.
1: All right. So, what does that mean to us who who aren't you know in the mix of it all? What is the implication of what you're doing, and why you are such a crucial cog in the ability to do business, uh, particularly with anyone that's dealing with alcohol,
0: another great question. I, I was too. That's too much. <laughs> yeah, re, a lot of even retailers don't comprehend the three tier system. Really, the three tier system dates back to um, the the tide laws in the twenties, where Al Capone was actually manufacturing whiskey in Canada, bringing it into Chicago, and then selling it to his own speakeasies. And the government kept trying to tuck their way into it, saying, hey, you're the supplier, you're the distributor, and you're also the retailer. Where's the tax collection in this process? And he was kind of basically saying, I'm not collecting taxes because I'm a single source. So when the federal government stepped in and said that we allow states to regulate the distribution of alcohol, uh, each state has unique laws and and regulations around how that debt is cured so as an example in california where we are today a distributor can set a retailer who sells alcohol beer wine or, or spirits on a cod method as products delivered and they can extend those turns all the way up to 30 days massachusetts is 60 days to cure the debt Georgia is another state that's cod so for large brands like walmart Costco, Buffalo Wild wings Hooters, Hilton, Marriott, if they have a single location that doesn't cure a debt on a single invoice for a particular time frame, they're placed on what they call the no-sale list within the state, which means that no alcohol distributor within that state can provide product to those uh, customers until that debt is cured, and we sit in the middle of that.
1: Gotcha. And I guess it must be even more complicated in the the rare occasion that you have a company – that is is has multiple tiers in their operation that sit in different states, that's just gotta muck up the the works a little bit, and your your service that you offer is. Uh, keeps them out of trouble.
0: Yeah, we really simplify, uh, simplify that. So we've got teams that are dedicated, that are customer-facing and distributor-facing, that as distributors are sending us the invoice, it's moving into our architecture, and we're moving the funds based on the terms of the relationship. If the terms are 30 days or 15 days, we're moving the money through the Federal Reserve the evening of, uh, of the due date. So it allows us to scale and help customers scale a little bit quicker and take the burdensome of managing that whole process on the alcohol side, off their plate, and send that over to us. How
1: exactly does a a company get integrated with what you're doing? What's the actual, you know, going from not using you to using you?
0: Another great question. Uh, We're really known for easy to do business with. So we don't have contracts. We don't hold customers to a... a, You don't have contracts. what
1: What is the thinking behind that?
0: We want to be known to be doing business uh, or do business with uh, easy. So we, we feel like putting a contract in front of a customer holds them to terms over a period of time. That if by chance we're not adding value or something better comes along for them, they can make a business decision to course correct and, and do what's right for their own brand.
1: How does that impact the uh, the ability of, of your customer to be able to depend on you to deliver without a contract in place with all due respect to your reputation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, we, we set all the expectations up front. It's a single enrollment that we go through. Uh, majority of customers, we have a really high retention rate. And uh, we use what we call the net promoter score to gauge our customer satisfaction. And we do quarterly reviews on that. We take that very serious. And our net pr- promoter score uh, is, is almost 90%. And it's really predicated on one question. Would you recommend this to a friend or colleague? And so we, we pride ourselves on on a core value of one of our pillars is to always make sure that we stay true to being really easy to do business with. So it's not uncommon for a customer to come in through a change of ownership, take FinTech out of the picture as they transition the liquor license to the new owner. We're reaching out to the new ownership to kind of maintain the integrity of that relationship. Um, but we, we have uh, competitors in the market that lock their customers into contracts for two to three years. And we're consistently having conversations around them coming back saying we've got buyer's remorse, but we're locked into this for another two years and we can't really make a change. Um, and we, we don't, we, we, we don't want to do that. We don't want to tie the hands of our customers. Is there
1: an international component to what you do, or are you all domestic?
0: Another great question. We really are domestic. We really kind of play by the federal laws of the three-tier system. We are exploring going into Canada. We have a lot of customers today, CVS. Buffalo Wild Wings, Walmart, Costco that kind of go across mm-hmm. the border mm-hmm. and really what we've morphed into now is even though we've started out as the payment we're really coming to today 20 years later a data-driven company and it's the data that our customers are looking for so to expand that data reach um, we're, we're entertaining going outside the borders. Uh, we've, got, we've got to play and adjust by the yeah. Um but uh, we're pretty excited about what the future holds. Certainly,
1: uh, you know, Canadian American money is is relatively easy to deal with, but when you know once you start getting into some of the other countries and their currencies, I mean there it gets it's obviously a very complex situation. So I would think that's that's not a small move either regulation wise or just you know the, the amount of uh, infrastructure necessary to track and deal with those fluctuating markets and and uh, and the various laws within those countries in terms of. The handling of trade.
0: Yeah, it, it gets complex. We'll kind of focus on Canada. So in the United States, somebody like Heineken or Budweiser or Miller Coors can sell their products directly to the retailer. They have to go through a distributor. But when you move into Canada, Molson's, for instance, can sell straight to a retailer. So they don't have that three-tier system. Um, and again, the benefit may not be on the payment side. And that's where we kind of got our start. But really, it's around the data. So we, today, we consume about 700,000 invoices a week Mm-hmm. That we're processing and curing, we're scraping that, and then we're running it through a hygiene process, aggregating it, and then republishing that data back to our customer. And that's really kind of what's driving around that. And so, but without the payment rails, there, there's no data visibility into the purchases.
1: How large does an entity have to be to find your service uh, valuable or accessible?
0: You know, th- that's a great question. We, we're right now we're finding the most success what we call down market in the SMB space, small to medium sized business. So it's those retailers that operate between one to a hundred locations. Um, as labor laws are changing, as minimum wage continues to increase, productivity and efficiencies around integration, compliance, making better business decisions quicker. And getting their hands on data a little bit faster is really kind of the driving value proposition and not so much the payment side. So um, when we start positioning the product, it's really based on the business needs of of the small business owner. Um, we, we do meet a lot that say hey I open my business I close my business I sweep my front porch I clean my windows I pay all my bills allowing them to scale a little bit quicker and allowing them to give visibility in their in their alcohol spend um, allows them to be a little bit more nimble especially with what you're seeing today the craft beer space now you are seeing all the seltzers come in where truly in products like that are starting to cannibalize some of the beer size you're, you're starting to see some of the beer carriers start to invest more uh, on that as the market shifts and these millennials get a little bit older um, and, and their buying habits. So, Mark, uh,
1: let me uh, pivot a little bit here and talk about NGA. We're here at NGA in San Diego. Uh, other than, you know, the opportunity to either meet new people that can be potential clients or, uh, you know, have a nice reunion with some of the people that you know, uh, what do you really get out of uh, being at something like this, given the nature of what you do, one? And two, what have you already noticed or taken in here that, that may give you some intel that, that can adjust your, 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 your uh, let's say, your direction, your compass a little bit over the next year?
0: Yeah, I I think being here really allows us for this vertical of what we call off-premise. It's where consumers purchase products and take them home versus purchase them and consume them on site like a restaurant or a bar. Um, What's really shifting in the industry as a whole, you're starting to see this, what we call consumer engagement, how these businesses are interacting with their consumers, um, where now you can order your product through an application and you can either have it brought out to the curb or even in some cases brought to your house. Right. We're really trying to see how that transaction is kind of morphing and taking place. Um, we work uh, with Whole Foods, as a prime example, in Amazon. And we're seeing some of the shifts in that side on the large players there, but still the The small business owners really make up a large portion of the industry. So really trying to get a better understanding of what they're shifting at. And we're also looking at trends like generational transition of ownership. So you've got the mother and father have operated the business for 20, 30, 40 years. And now the the kids are coming into the business that may be more data driven. So the way they approach business is a little bit different um, and what what some of the niches and, and um, visibility they're looking for. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's one of the primary reasons we decided to come out and join the show. We, I think it's been four or five years since we've been out to NGA. I think the other one is just to get our name recognition out in front of customers. There is some confusion around fintech or financial technology. We've We've had senior leadership, a large enterprise customer, say there's nothing financially I do in my role and nothing technically I do in my role. I'm either the CMO or I'm in charge of the adult beverage category. So as we kind of educate the consumers uh, of our product and the retailers, we're more focused not so much on the payment side of the business, but some of the compelling data that we find. So we, we become that concierge so to say to help them buy buy better, make smarter decisions, buy smarter and ultimately drive top line sales and improve bottom line profits. Gotcha. So is there some potential rebranding in your future or um... Yeah, that, that's a great question. We've got customers that have approached us. We we own the domain the the domain names for fintech.com and fintech.net. And from a leadership perspective, we're, you know, really trying to kind of just now dabble in that water that is, is really that even the right conversation to put on the, the, the ballot from a strategic standpoint in the board to say, is there, is there some branding that may give us a little bit accelerated market awareness and that
1: got it. All right. One more question on the business side, and then we move over to Mark, the, the human, uh, you know, you, you talk about the the shifts in the industry you're seeing, kind of going a little bit more towards the uh, engagement with the consumer. How how does that affect you? How does it affect fintech? Because uh, you're not tied into like you don't make money. I'm I'm asking your revenue is not driven by the amount of revenue that your client makes. Is it? Is, are you transacting? No. We're, we're, so,
0: we're, it's basically the invoice traffic. So. so other than keeping an eye
1: on how the industry is going so you can know where your next clients are or the ability of your existing clients to hang in there with you, how, how does that impact you seeing those trends?
0: Yeah, coming coming out, I'm part of a new leadership group here. So the company was acquired by, by a pretty strong financial group a couple of years ago. Um, who have now kind of taken the organization, even though we're 28 years old, we're kind of coming out of infancy and moving into adolescence. And so we're looking at what other products are needed in the marketplace on top of just paying the invoice and data. So we've recently gone to market with an ordering platform that really simplifies the process. So imagine uh, a grocery that may work with nine or ten different distributors from large Budweiser and Miller Coors houses all the way down to small craft, wine and beer. Some, they're, they're engaging through a text or an email or having to go to a portal or a phone call or a rep's actually coming into their business. We can actually consolidate that whole process, present a catalog back, so the, the user interface is a lot more simplistic and easier to track, and we can memorialize that data in a portal that they can always go back and reference. <clears throat> Another thing that the on-premise does very, very well, um, or off-premise as well, is, is how they collect expected pricing from the distributor network. Um, so when you work with craft or, or you work with another food retailer or paper product, they can get you nationwide pricing consistently because their points of distri- distribution are consistent. When you move in the alcohol space, you've got distributorships, family-owned, kind of franchised, memorialized within the state, and in some markets – you only have one place you can go get a can of Bud Light, and that's from the single distributor where you may have 15 different options for cheddar cheese in that same market. What we're looking at doing is trying to figure out how we can accelerate protecting the margins and recognize when pricing discrepancy is a little bit different because by law, Budweiser, Heineken, these large suppliers, can't mandate or enforce the price that a distributor sells their product to. And so it may vary. So as an example, in Tampa, Florida, Outback is a very good partner of ours, and they're right down the street. What they pay for a specific line of alcohol in Tampa varies then in South Florida because there's a totally different distributor. So getting consistency in the pricing across the board and their footprint uh, is a little bit more challenging. And so since we're getting visibility to the invoice data that's coming in the back door, we can compare that actual price expected and do that variance capture in real time, where in a lot of cases it takes 60 to 90 days to go through that gymnastics or exercise to true up that variance. So it's just another, var- uh, another example of how we're kind of aggregating our data and publishing it back and allowing retailers to be a little bit more nimble and simplify the process of managing their adult category.
1: How much of uh, fintech's business is restaurant-based versus uh, how much is, say, grocery retail-based?
0: I'd say it's probably fifty-fifty on and off premise, but the spend is almost twice as large on the off premise. Uh, so we're we're pretty fortunate to work with the largest mover of alcohol for on-premise and off-premise sure. in the restaurant space. Um, but the the opportunity is really kind of shifted in both sides. Um, but the, the the grocery space really is a pretty good tell. They complement each other, so we can provide visibility to. Small businesses in the local bar area, what the products are they're moving or consumers are purchasing and taking home to drink versus what they're showing up and drinking in the restaurants. And we can kind of manage that, yeah. marry that up, and provide them a little bit more visibility on does their menu reflect what the demographic in the marketplace is actually consuming mm-hmm. and make better business decisions on that side.
1: All right, great, thanks. All right, let's uh, take a moment and let's get personal. Uh, so, uh, where, where are you located? Are you in Florida? Uh, Tampa, Florida, based on Florida, Tampa, you said, Florida. so, um, is that where you, you hail from through your life? No, well? I, I'm,
0: I'm military brat, but I is... call St. Simon's Island home. It's an Island off the coast of Georgia, but oh, yeah. relocated from Atlanta. I was in Atlanta for almost 20 years and relocated for this opportunity when the new leadership team came in, gotcha. uh, down to Tampa. So it's not, not too bad. Weather's pretty nice.
1: So what have you done for the rest of your career? What led up to this?
0: Uh, You know, I started out in the the restaurant side of the business um, and kind of came up through the ranks through there. Uh, started as a trainee and kind of moved into an SVP role, running large footprints. I've had the opportunity to own and operate some restaurants, so I've been an entrepreneur on that side. Um, When I got out of the hospitality space, I always said if I decided to do that, um, I'd go to try to find something that complemented my skill set as a vendor so, a yeah. company in Radiant Systems out of Atlanta. I went to work for them. They were really starting to spin up a division focused on the franchise community and the small business community side. Mm-hmm. Um, so, they did point-to-point of sale, a lot of technology, loyalty platforms, online ordering platforms, uh, hardware, software. The company was acquired by NCR, which had a larger global footprint. Um, so, I've been pretty blessed and fortunate to kind of grow up and work with a lot of smart individuals within. Brands like Chick-fil-A and Wendy's and Dunkin' Donuts, Chipotle, mm-hmm. Buffalo Wild Wings, uh, Roar Capital out of Atlanta. So learned a lot about the industry from a user perspective, which has really kind of helped on the other side of the fence when you're, when you're talking to customers.
1: All right, so with that in mind, thank you. With that in mind, uh, you travel a lot. You, you do travel a lot, I'm guessing. Uh, so when you are in each city that you go to, uh, do you have somewhere, I know there's always a new city, but there's probably certain cities you tend to get to a lot. You're probably in Vegas a lot. You're probably in L.A. a lot. You're in Chicago a lot, major hubs, I would imagine. So when you're there, are there certain places that you say, ah, I'm going to be in Chicago again. I get to go to this place again. I get to go to this place in L.A. or New York or whatever. Uh, wh- what? Give me a couple of examples of destinations that you make sure you always hit in places we would know.
0: Yeah, you almost become a creature habit because when you, you get on a routine where you're coming in the night before, you tend to stay at the same hotel. It's not not a good thing when the front desk knows you as you're walking in the hotel. You yeah. know, <laughs> kind of look at you like you're the owner. <laughs> um, I use Minneapolis a lot. I think Minneapolis is a great, great city to kind of hang out in because there's so much to do. And to, you know, I, I had the privilege of taking my daughter up there. She, she just finished playing college basketball, and she had a three day break. And I said, I've got to go up to Buffalo Wild Wings. I'm going to meet with them, have a meeting the week before Christmas. And when we landed that Sunday evening, it was minus fifty one. And, and I don't think oh. she had ever been north of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Holy crow! Up to that point, and I remember you don't
1: know how cold it is to you minus fifty one.
0: It. Uh, I remember getting off the plane. I said, What do you think? She goes, That's going to leave a mark, you know. And uh, but we we drove around, and you know, got to take her to Prince's house, and got to take her across the river, and the Mall of America, and things like that. But. The labor force up there is, is so blue-collar, um, and there's so many large organizations that are based out of Minneapolis, but you see people at minus 50 degrees jogging, they're riding bikes, and you're, you're just like, you, you got to be kidding me. I'm trying to get my car to start an hour before I have to get into it just so it's at zero, you know, before I have to yep. commute to the office kind of around there so yeah it's 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 fun because you kind of get a mini vacation Mm -hmm. you kind of get out and sightsee when time permits and and kind of check (laughs) off the list based on where you go that's for sure um you know it's funny
1: uh, i went to sydney australia in uh, for business last summer i'm going coronavirus allowing i'm going again this summer Uh, And I was thinking about, do I want to go to some of the same places I really enjoyed there? Or is it such an opportunity to be so far away in the world that I've got to find other places? And I'm kind of waffling between, like, now that I got my bearings, you know, go to the places I enjoyed. But there's always room for for new adventures. So, all right. Well, uh, how can people connect with either you or the things that you're doing if they want to learn more or, or maybe there's an opportunity to do business with you?
0: Yeah, people can actually just reach directly out to the website portal. We've, we've got a pretty nice website out there that kind of explains exactly what we do, the different platforms we offer, and part of our core value as well, doing easy-to-do business with. Uh, we really encourage customers to come on and try a no-cost 30-day pilot, 45-day pilot, and really kick the tires and really make a business decision after you've seen the facts versus trying to buy something yeah. and hope the facts are there. And, and we think that... Um, Right now, we see statistically about 87%, 80, 88% of the customers that try us out actually like us and use us. So they can go to www.fintech.com and log into the portal. Uh, they can request somebody to um, reach out to them to provide a free demo. Um, pilot, complimentary, answer any questions, talk about integration on the back end, uh, what types of data that we can actually provide. We have over 700 integrations today to accounting and inventory packages where we can actually send all your purchase data, mm-hmm. eliminate all the duplicate entry in the back end um, around that, and try us out.
1: Great. All right, well, uh, thank you very much for joining us, Mark. Uh, Mark Kimber, the CRO for FinTech. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, that's it for this great episode. Really interesting episode uh, here on location in San Diego, California at NGA. Thanks so much for listening. Really appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. Have a great day. Until then, I'm Mark Rayco. Bye-bye. This has been Grocery is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2020. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, your inside voice.